0: important question of your day. Hey, is this been Emo? Welcome to episode 117 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. Thank you for being here. Today we welcome Adam Marino from the band Sasha Type 11, and instruction. We chat about his time in all three bands and his upbringing in New York City. The shows Adam got to see that he lists off during the podcast is pretty insane. So, one where Green Day opened. So, stay tuned for that. Finally, we discussed his life after music, where he runs a barbershop in San Diego full time. And to note, AirType 11 has a few reunion shows coming up in the West Coast. Go search those out. And I want to thank the Patreon supporters you make this podcast happen thank you so much finally i want to mention the book anthology of Emo, volume one so many of you have reached out posted a photo with it on social media sent me an email absolutely amazing thank you if you haven't picked one up you can do so by the site anthologyofemo.com look out for an event in la and another in new york city next month that's january 2018 i'm working on volume two right now This is episode 117 of the washed up email podcast with Adam Marino.
1: Actually, uh, I grew up in Jamaica, Queens, right near like St. John's University with my mom and my aunt, and um, my dad lives currently still out on Long Island, so I'd kind of go see him on the weekends. But yeah, I grew up in the 80s in Queens, so it was a kind of fun time. And was
0: punk rock, like, was it something that you saw? Was it so, who, like,
1: was there anybody that told you about it or um yeah i mean well it started off i have a brother a half brother who is about 17 years older than me so uh, music was kind of always in my life and i remember my first record was kiss dynasty and i still hate kiss but at when i was a kid i was like you know seven years old or something and i had this record and and kiss alive like just looking at the vinyl and like the, the pictures and they look like superheroes. So (laughs) that was like, that was cool to me. And then, you know, he handed down like Zeppelin and, uh, black Sabbath and stuff like that, which I, which I actually liked the music of that stuff. And then, um, and then it kind of, when I was discovering music on my own, it, it was kind of like, um, I was obsessed with the movie beat street growing up and like and run dmc i would carry like a little boom box around with me listening to that stuff like the soundtrack to beat street and i'd watch it every day after school with my friends um carrying a
0: boom box.
1: yeah i would carry a little cassette player <laughs> i'm old that's okay <laughs> um yeah so hip-hop and then like and then watching you know when i got mtv in the like around 87 88 i would like watch yo mtv raps and Headbangers Ball and all that stuff. And that really introduced me to a lot of stuff. But I, I guess as far as like, I think I discovered or was introduced to hardcore music before I kind of understood punk music, I guess. So I had a, a friend that I would skate with and he had an older brother who was a skinhead. Wow. And um, so he was probably like six or seven years older than us. So this is around like 87. He... um. I was at his house one Saturday afternoon, and he played me Cro-Mag's Age of Quarrel in nineteen eighty-seven. Yeah, that was my first hardcore record I heard, and and to be honest, it kind of like scared the shit out of me. You know, it was just yeah. like I just never heard anything like that before. Like I liked it, but it was just like it was almost like too much in that moment. You know, and he was always trying to he was bring his younger brother to shows, like, even at a super early age. And he would always try to get me, you know, they would want me to come. And my mom was just, like, not having it, you know. She was, like, she's, like, no, we, you know.
0: <laughs> Where were the shows? Were they in the city? They were, city? like, at,
1: at CB's and, like, at the Pyramid and stuff like that. And she was just, like, she was not letting me get get on a train with them. And it's not that she didn't like my friends. It was just that it was, like, kind of the unknown of that world and that music. Um, so... In, so my first concert ever was in 1989 and my mom felt comfortable with this because she had heard the band on the radio and and uh, a, a friend's parent was taking a group of us to go and so my first show was bon jovi with skid row opening at nassau coliseum
0: wow yeah you got so, you got the full rock experience yeah
1: i did and it was awesome, and I remember, like, walking through the tunnel at Nassau Coliseum and, like, seeing the stage and the lights, and, like, and then Skid Row went on, like, 10 minutes later, and I was like, holy shit, this is insane, you Yeah, know, this is, like, amazing. So, from that point on, I was kind of, like, addicted to going to concerts, so I, I talked my older brother into, like, if he, if I just said, I want to go to this show he would take me to everything. So quickly it was like, I, you know, I went from Bon Jovi and Skid Row, and then my, I think my second concert was uh, Metallica with the cult opening on the Injustice for All tour. And then it was like Anthrax, Halloween, and Exodus. And then quickly it was like, okay, now I'm going into the city, and now I'm starting to go. And then like my first like club show was Fugazi would Shudder to Think at the Ritz on, the, on the Steady Diet of Nothing tour. So how did you find out Fugazi? Was it...
0: An older brother telling it was,
1: you, or no? That so at that point I was in. Um, at that point I was in high school, and in my freshman year I met. Uh, I was in a math class, and this girl said, "You, you're going to help me pass this class, or my boyfriend's going to beat you up, right?" And I said. All right, good luck because I'm terrible at math. So if you you want, if your boyfriend wants to beat me up for giving you shitty grades, then okay. So uh, it turns out, so they end up meeting her boyfriend, and her boyfriend uh, is is a guy named Julian, who is still like one of my closest friends, and uh, was the singer for a band called Still Suit. Love still suit right so Equal Vision t- Records everybody
0: oh no sorry uh, uh, TVT, TVT. which I, that was my first job by the way in the industry
1: dude I interned at T V T what year ninety uh, seven uh, that's crazy f- wait for Sean Roberts and so I would just I love sit. Sean I did more hanging out in Sean's office and like smoking cigarettes than actually doing like intern stuff yeah
0: that's pretty much what went down as yeah <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, yeah so then he kind of um, so Julian started playing me so this is probably ninety one. And at the time I, I'm kinda I know I'm bouncing all over the place, but like at the time I was super like my favorite band. The band that kinda changed my life was Jane's Addiction at the time. So I went and got to see them play at the garden and I was into like all like because of 120 minutes I learned about like a whole bunch of other stuff. Like, you know, I was really into Sonic Youth and Pavement and my Bloody Valentine and the Smith like the Smiths, like 120 minutes kind of turned me on to all that yeah. really quickly because it was such a, they played such a diverse, you know, group of bands. So I got to hear that all. And then I had the metal mixed in and then I had the, the hip hop mixed in. Um, but when I met Julian, he was like more plugged into this kind of even more underground, like hardcore thing that was going on. Um, so he introduced me to bands like Yup Aside and, And Mind Over Matter, and Bad Trip, and Wheelchair, and Shift, and all these bands that were playing at a club called Bond Street Cafe at the time, and they were playing, you know, Seabees and Wetlands and stuff, and then he introduced me to Quicksand, and that was, like, another one of those life-changing moments, you know, where I heard the 7-inch, and then I heard um, Slip, and I was just like, what? Yeah. Yeah. It was, like, one of those moments that just, to this day, is, like, it's still in my Top three all-time favorite albums. So I started just going to all these shows, and I was, you know, were you playing?
0: Were you I you playing bass. Are you playing drums, guitar? I was, were, were you I was given
1: a a bass by uh, my brother that he bought off of one of his friends for like fifty bucks, and he just gave it to me. And I toyed around with it, and then I got a guitar, and I was like teaching myself that. I was kind of teaching myself both at the same time. I took like two lessons, and I hated it because it was like <laughs> they wanted me to play like you know, Mary had a little lamb and yeah, scales. I was just like, that's not like, and I know I, I kind of, I wish I knew how to actually read music and all that, but at the time it just was not into it. And I was just wanted to put music on that I liked and just try to figure it out. And that's how I learned to play. But I don't think I really started getting serious about it till playing music till probably like 95 is when I really started like trying to write my own stuff and, and the first band I ever played in was like this high school type of thing. And I played, my first show ever was at a talent show at Cardoza High School. It
0: has to be a talent show. Of it course it was. a talent it was.
1: show. And the band that, there was all instrumental band. And it was, um, I don't know if you ever heard of a band called Five Style. They were on pop. Yeah, sub-pop.
0: totally remember right. Five
1: Style. So, right, so we kind of sounded like that, like tortoise, five style, like instrumental, like a little bit of funk thrown in there. You know, I'm guilty of like liking early chili peppers and Primus and stuff like that. Like I love that stuff. My first band up.
0: covered Too Many Puppies.
1: Yes. <laughs>
0: Very well, I might add. That's
1: a that's a great song to cover. <laughs> um, it's I, heavy
0: at the end. You yeah. can break it down. Dude,
1: Primus Pork Soda is like one of the darkest, yes. most awesome records ever. I love that album. <laughs> um, yeah, so we did that band and then that was like really short lived. It wasn't going anywhere. And then um I was working at a haagen which was my very first job in Queens. And I, across the street was a Boston chicken, or I guess it's called Boston market now, whatever. They can't but, call it
0: chicken anymore.
1: Right. It's called Boston market. <laughs> so, and, uh, there was a guy working at Boston market named Billy and we would, after work, we kind of a whole bunch of us would go hang out at Cunningham park and we'd skate and just, just hang out. And he was into hardcore as well. And, um, we'd even like seen each other at shows and then we were talking about doing a band together and he was playing drums, but he said he wanted to sing. And so then we just uh, made flyers and no one answered our, to our flyers. No one called and we we're like, fuck. And then one day he was just like, Oh dude, I got, um, he's like, I got some people that want to play. And I was like, all right. So wow. I just showed up into uh, a practice space one day and it was all the guys in Sasha. And we just started, that was it. We just started playing.
0: What was everybody into? Because Seisha is a super, super important band to the, the I call it the actual Screamo. You know, right. that, and But what was the genesis of where you guys were coming from? Because there was a lot of bands that were doing that. And you know, I've talked to other people on the podcast about sort of those moments. It was a different, it wasn't, you weren't, you didn't want to be a hardcore band. But you also like to sing, but you also wanted to make it like
1: super, super heavy. Yeah, and that's like I don't, I don't think any of us knew what we wanted it to be. You know, like I, I know for myself, out of everyone in that band, like I never listened to that type of music. You know, like I listen to hardcore and and some screamy stuff or whatever. But like that particular, and I know there, you know, we weren't like the first like quote unquote screamo band or whatever. But like. I didn't listen to, like, that type of music, you know? So those guys were, I think, more plugged into, like, the the ABC No Rio scene and stuff. I liked more, like, the post-hardcore stuff. If you're going to, like, look at music in that genre or kind of roughly around that, I was more into, like, Quicksand and Shift and Mind Over Matter and Die 116 and more of, like, the Wreckage, Revelation, Equal Vision stuff, right? Those guys were more into, like, the... Or I should say, Billy and Jamie, Link, the Philly yeah, stuff. Yeah, and there's some of that stuff that, like, I love, like, because of them, like, I learned about like groundwork, and I fucking love groundwork. And then I got into like because of groundwork, then I learned about four hundred years because frail. Yeah, and uh, and then Sleepy Time Trio, like, some of those bands I absolutely loved in within that scene. But as a whole, like, I personally wasn't listening to that stuff. I would, like, I remember when uh, Satish started, like. A couple of months later, I went and saw Fiona Apple play at the Supper Club, you know, because, like, I love Fiona Apple. You know, you don't think when you hear Seisha, like, oh, someone in this band really loves Fiona Apple. But I did, and I still do. Um, so, and then Jamie, I mean, I'm sorry, and Greg was super into Joy Division, um, which kind of led to, I think, uh, you know, he also ended up being the first drummer of Interpol. I don't know if you knew that yes. or not. So, you can kind of hear that and that. Um, And then everyone else was kind of all over the place, but I think we all shared like a love of hardcore music, you know?
0: That's what I think was so cool about that time because there were, you could learn about bands, there were people touring, but everyone was kind of doing their own thing in those regions. And especially Philly, New York. Yes, definitely the hardcore, even Connecticut, Boston, but that sort of, I mean, when did when did people first start calling it screamo? Did you guys think you were
1: a hardcore band? I that's I really don't like I we never ever called ourselves a screamo band. We never called ourselves an emo band. I I don't know if we ever labeled ourselves. It, like honestly, I know that sounds kind of crazy, but like if anyone, was that
0: going on at the time? You knew about emo.
1: You right? know, I think the first time I ever heard the word emo was when someone. Described sunny day real estate to me, and I had um I bought Diary because I was looking through a Sub Pop catalog, and I saw this picture of them, and I'm sure you know the picture I'm talking about. It's like a live picture of them, and they're all wearing white shirts and ties. And I'm like, this band looks kind of interesting. Like, yeah, they look cool. And I was like, what's this all about? And I remember going out, and then I saw the also like the album cover, and I was like, that looks cool as shit. And so I bought it, and. I was like, this band's amazing. And then I was lucky enough that they, um, and it was around the time I was going, that's what happened. So I bought the stuff and I was listening to it and I just thought it was a great record. And then I said to someone, oh, Sunny Day Real Estate's playing at the Knitting Factory and I'm going to go see them. And they're like, oh, that, that, that's a kind of like an emo band, right? And I was like, I, I never put like the two in together. But then now when I listen to Sunny Day, because emo is such a thing that I, uh, to me, they're the quintessential emo band. For me, personally, yeah. you know? Like, I think Diary is, like, the record. Like, some people will go, like, oh, Jimmy Eat World's an emo band. Like, to them, and that's fine. To me, I think Jimmy Eat World's a rock band.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, now, definitely. I mean, they were a punk band. Right, and they, right. then yeah. they have, you know, the one, two, three, four record, and then, yeah, they definitely are, um, you know, a rock band. I mean, I think Mineral's that sort of same world where right. they kind of stuck to it. But, yeah, definitely, the... But it's interesting that you kind of never heard that, because now, I mean, Screamo, the word, is sort of, you You know, people think Black Veil Brides. They think, you know, Hawthorne Heights. They think of, you know, that thing. They, right, like they, the
1: makeup and the floppy yeah, hair and all that stuff. That
0: was Screamo, not, you know, If Frail or 400 Years or Sleepy Time. Right. Which, I guess, will get lost in time. But it's interesting that you guys didn't even know.
1: Yeah. I seriously didn't know
0: what were some of the other bands when you got because you had the demo obviously you had a demo first duh but like those first few releases, <laughs> <that's> the most <laughs> stupid thing I've ever said on the podcast no we
1: went straight to a double album
0: <laughs> have you heard Melancholy Infinite <laughs> Sadness we did that yeah um, apologies the like from those first you know show, were you playing with hardcore bands were you was it you know indie rock stuff were what was sort of the response when you were playing
1: <laughs> there wasn't much of a response because, honestly, when, when we were a band, it was like such a short amount of time. I mean, I recorded the demo. And what were the years again? It was like... I think when we started, when we got together, it was like 96 when we first got together. So and like then
0: 97 to like 2000?
1: If, no, I think it was 97 to 99. Wow. So it was a really short amount of time. And I left the band in 98... Um. So I did the I did the demo seven inch whatever you want to call it and then the uh, the full length and then they went on to do one more seven inch with three songs on it after I had left the band um, and then they broke up after that.
0: Did um, you expect to be on a podcast years later talking s- about no. Seisha?
1: Well, so that was the thing, but the reaction <laughs> was like, so we had um, no, absolutely not. We, you know, we ABC Norio was kind of our home in New York. I think we that's where we played the majority of our shows. We played one show at um the Loeb Center in NYU, which was actually one of my favorite station shows because that was with Millhouse. Oh, rad. Um
0: everyone needs to listen to Millhouse. Go yeah, find them.
1: You do. Um that was a great show. It was just like packed and it was we played well and it was just like, you know, great energy at that show. But the majority of shows we played were like tri-state area um you know, we did one east coast tour. And then, after I was in the band, they went and did a, a tour across to to the west coast um but for the New York shows, it was like it was ABC norio in the basement, you know, like yeah, they were pretty crowded, but it just felt like they were all our friends, you know, like people from other bands, you know, people making like inside jokes in between it was I never felt like wow, we're winning over like these new people you it was know? The same so old it just felt like, yeah, we're playing in front of our friends every time, which was great, like we had fun, but it it didn't like it wasn't like what kind of reaction are we getting? Because he didn't know if it was like a real reaction or just like yeah. your friends fucking around in the crowd, you know? <laughs> so, I, so I never really felt, I never got the vibe that people were like into us, you know? It just felt like, okay, we were a band. We made these songs that we're really proud of. And um, and then we were in a band, right? And then that was it. And then, you know, Billy and Greg and a couple of those guys went on to do other bands. Hot Cross. Hot cross um, off Minor. Jamie was in Off Minor and and then i, I don't know what, what year it happened or whatever but then i just start hearing people talking about sasha again i'm like and kids so young you know and then i start seeing like people getting sasha lyrics tattooed on them and making their own t-shirts and it's just like where were you you know yeah. in 1998 or 97 when we were in middle a band, school you know
0: <laughs> not born yet
1: right not born yet i know <laughs> but it's like where where was that enthusiasm where is that that energy toward the band which, I mean, I'm, I don't care when it happens. It's just kind of funny to me like how people discover something that was just like this little footnote in a, a subgenre of music. you know? But
0: it wasn't. I think that's the, it, the songs have stood the test of time. I think the, the people that were talking about that listened to everything. Because at the internet age, you're able to process everything and, and be like, wow, this really, I can hear or I can see the lineage of that music continue on. Yeah. And that's crazy.
1: No, it's awesome. It's it is crazy. It's uh, and
0: then now the the reissue, um, yeah. Which thanks, I've thanks would, to
1: would, Jeremy from Touche Amore. He uh, he really uh, just loves Seisha and appreciates what we did at the time. And uh, I guess it's just his way of like wanting to, you know, what it did for him. He wants it to do for other people. And because it it was released in such a like away at the you know it's really hard to get and you know they were going for a lot of money on ebay the vinyl so it's just crazy like people like i wouldn't spend that kind of money on my own band you know (laughs) what i mean like it's just crazy that people are spending like a hundred bucks for the for the record and they're just hard to find now you know so um he wanted to make it more widely available to people and um it's going to be on like spotify for the first time and, um, I just got my copy before we left, um, to come here to New York in the mail. And I mean, they did such a beautiful job on, on the layout. T- Death Wish, right? Well, it's through Secret Voice, which is Jeremy's, um, own label through Death through Wish. Through Death Wish, yeah. Yeah yeah um, but it just came out like I can't I'm so stoked for everyone to see like anyone that's like a fan of the band is gonna really like appreciate the work that went into the layout of the album
0: and have more have it available have everyone they don't need to spend $100 to get it it's on Spotify more people are gonna find out about the band
1: right exactly and there's actually like you know t-shirts that were you know that we back you know I mean I think it's cool that people made their own shirts or whatever but um, it's cool that there's like a design that we approve of you know that's out there now that if you wanna get a station t-shirt you can go to death wish and or or secret voice and go online and just order it you know
0: did you guys in the band ever kind of get together and be like is this real like are people i mean you said i mean i definitely would see mentioned it would be listed next to 400 years it would be listed in you know history of emo you guys were there
1: right uh no i mean we to be honest like we just it's not that we hated each other or anything it all ended on like when i left the band like it ended on good terms. Um, but I just think that we just lost, you know, life happens. Right. And you just kind of like, and people like Billy moved to Philly and, you know, three years ago I moved to San Diego and I just think people just lost touch. But like, you know, thanks, thanks to like social media, like, you know, Billy and I still keep tabs on each other, you know, Jamie, um, When Aerotype did a reunion show three years ago, we did a secret show uh, playing with Braid at St. Vitus. I don't know if you were at that show or not.
0: I think I was out of town. I do remember that.
1: Yeah, so Braid had played um, Music Hall Williamsburg, and um, then after they did a secret show, and we were playing a show at the... um, Gramercy Theater that night with Shiner and so after we all went oh, we met them advice and we did a show together and then I'm playing and I look down and Jamie is standing right in front of me and I hadn't seen Jamie in like I don't know five years wow or something. and then we just you know we grabbed a beer after and we just were talking and and so it's it's cool you know it's, it's just uh, I think time and and life gets in the way of uh, being able to communicate sometimes in a way that you would with like one of your super close friends that's near you, that's around you all yeah. the
0: time. Oh, that's cool. I mean, you mentioned like the Air Type 11, and I remember getting that record at College Radio from some records. They did the mailing, and I, I had not – usually we got records and records all the time, and we'd listen to them. And I remember putting this on, and it was one of those first listens, like, holy shit. Yeah. Well, so, and this was—I mean—that first record came out of a canon.
1: Yeah. So, um, the Era Type Eleven story is basically Artie, obviously, who's the singer of Era Type Eleven, played guitar in Mind Over Matter, which was a band I went and saw like every weekend, you know, as much <laughs> as I could. I just loved them. I became friendly with all those guys. Um, so I found out Artie had a new band, and they were playing at Coney Island High, and I was still in Satia at the time, and I went to the show with my girlfriend at the time and we were watching them it was just kind of like they started playing and like my jaw was on the floor I was like holy shit This it was just like it was more in in tune with like the music that I was listening to that I really loved and I was just like this is amazing it's
0: more post right
1: exactly and then like about three or four songs in Artie's like says into the microphone he's like "Um, yeah this is one of Scott's last shows with us who Scott was the bass player who was also the bass player Mind Over Matter he said yeah it's one of Scott's last shows with us we don't know who's gonna do it yet and then so I just looked at my girlfriend and I they finished playing and I'm like, I'm gonna I'm gonna be in this band. And I just went downstairs to the downstairs of Coney Island High because they was on they were played the main room. And uh I went and was just talking to Artie. I was like, Hey, so did you guys find a bass player yet? And he's like, No, we're still looking and uh at the time the record wasn't out. They just had it was like the seven inch just came out, yeah, which yeah. had like, superstore on it and one other two other songs. And uh I didn't even own it. I didn't own a bass, and I just said to him, um, "Well, can I, do you mind if I can I try out?" He's like, "Yeah, sure." And we exchange numbers. He's like, uh, "He's like, yeah, grab the seven inch, and um, he goes, let me get you a seven inch and like learn those songs.'" I said, "Oh, I got it. I know the songs already." And he's like, oh, "Okay." And meanwhile, I didn't even own a bass, you know, uh, no like shit. at the time I didn't have a bass. All I had was guitar equipment. So I uh, I bought the seven inch. I went to Sesha practice, and I said to Colin when we were leaving, I was like, hey, dude, can I borrow your bass till the next practice? He's like, yeah, sure. I borrowed his bass, went home, learned the seven-inch, went in and played the songs, and uh, and then he gave me a cassette copy at that practice of the full album, because it wasn't out yet, you know, but it had been recorded. And uh, so I went home, locked myself in my room, learned the entire album on bass, and came back a week later. And Artie's like, all right, uh, so what? which songs do you want to try? And I'm like, all right, well, let's do the whole album. And he's like, like, the whole record. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And then we just played through front to back the whole album. And uh, and then even then, he was like, all right, because uh, Scott uh, from Texas The Reason was trying out. Oh, shit. So I had some stiff competition. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Artie could
0: pick and choose. I like this.
1: Yeah. So, uh, and I just think for whatever reason, uh, Scott ended up not wanting to do it or I don't know what happened, but then they, uh, they had a show book down in Virginia at Mac rock festival. I'm
0: I've been, uh, I I went to 10 years worth of Mac Oh, nice. Yeah. That was like
1: that. I went to the, um, this had to be 98. I was there 97 or no. Yeah. Either 97 or 98. And, uh, they were they were booked to play and it was a show with engine down and it was in a house in a basement i think and um i totally of, remember that and all of a sudden scott was like called Artie and was like dude i can't play the show like you booked this show without asking me and i have it like he had like he was going to school to be a, become a teacher and he had let them know that from the very beginning that's why he was leaving the band yeah, yeah and he just had another obligation and so in a pinch like they knew i knew the songs they called me and they were like Dude, how do you feel about coming to play a show? I was like, yes, you know. And then so we played the show, and then after that, it was kind of like a done deal, and I was in the band.
0: Wow, the MacRock Festival. I mean, you guys were down there, you know, the early years. Like that was that was sort of like the pre-CMJ. Like if you played MacRock oh, yeah. the next year, you were going to be. You know, either some, you know, CMJ or you're going to play South by Southwest. It was like the place to
1: see yeah, all was, those bands. It was a great festival. I'm, I think one time we played a show at Mac Rock with Caven uh, and a bunch of other really great bands. And it was like. It was in it was, the gym, wasn't yes, it? Yeah. Yeah. I saw Fugazi in that gym. Nice. Insane.
0: Yeah. It was just. I don't know how they booked or who, I mean, I actually do know one of the bookers and there's a funny story, but I've already made fun of him on an earlier <laughs> podcast and you can listen to that another time. Um, or, but the, um, just the, it was like math rock stuff, even it's called Mac rock. They had like so many mathy bands and screamo and, but punk, they had hip hop, like they had everything. Yeah. That was a fun fact. I'm glad you guys did that. Um, so you played that show for them after he couldn't do
1: it yeah played the show we drove down together played the show had a great time saw some bands got drunk and then you know <laughs> bonded and uh it was just kind of like yeah it's like we all get along we can do this together and that was it
0: so this one's when, when was it again when was it released oh yeah it was 98 june 98 i remember getting that in the, in the yeah it was for the for the for the full length.
1: Right, I actually played the Record Release show for the first record which I'm not on. That's all. <laughs> so that's how long I was in the band. You know what I mean? Like <laughs>
0: <laughs> You didn't you didn't lay it down, but you. <laughs> I didn't lay it down, but I uh um I think if anyone hasn't heard Air Type 11 or should, I think the uh, like it was it, there were hooks like Artie is like born to write hooks. I feel like, and he, he is, you know, or like a catchy
1: chorus or, that's why I hate that he's playing in a metal band right now. Yes. Which I, I love his band, but I just feel like his true calling is hooks. More, Yeah, hooks.
0: Was there after the some records, how, what was it? Was it like a two record deal or
1: it wasn't a two record deal. We ended up just, um, after the first record, um, we met with walter and sammy and matt and from some and they uh they just really wanted to do the second record they believed in it and and uh we just we felt comfortable with them so we went with it
0: and then that time the i mean obviously the late 90s so much stuff was was going on did you guys feel um you know if it was the touring stuff you were doing did you feel like were part of the gang or did you feel no. a little bit different?
1: No, we absolutely did not fit in with anything that was going on at the time because, um, Aerotype 11 was kind of like the spinal tap of the real music world <laughs> of that scene. Yeah. It's like, if it could go wrong, it did go wrong, but we just kept forging ahead, you know? And, uh, it's like, we'd go on a tour and there was one tour we did that, uh, Jimmy Eat world was on tour as well. And like, I think, Almost every, every night. night they were in the same city. You know what I mean. So you can imagine. I was at the Jimmy at World Show, right? Probably. So everyone was at the Jimmy at World Show. <laughs> um. So yeah, there was just like moments like that. Um. And I just feel like we were going for a more rock thing, you know. And at that time, every you know, no one wanted to. It wasn't cool to like. Pretend you're, you know, playing Madison Square Garden, you know? No, it wasn't. Right. So we'd be playing basements and in front of five people and Artie would be like, you know, like just putting on a show like he was at the garden and we were just having fun with it, you know, but some people just didn't like that vibe, you know, so I, but we liked it and we had fun with it. So, um.
0: One of the shows I saw you guys, I think was the day that you named, Better than the Super Bowl,
1: right? That, I was we, at the we show. Briefly talked about, yeah, this yeah, at we point.
0: did. Oh, yeah, you're right. But that was our either some kid. It was at five thirty three uprising in North Carolina, and it was Super Bowl night,
1: right? And and, the, and we didn't have we wrote the song, and we didn't have a name for it yet. So Artie said. uh all right, we're gonna play this new song, and we don't have a name for it. So the first person that yells the, a name out, we're gonna name it that song. And someone just goes, "That song was better than the Super Bowl," and it makes no sense. Nope. Like, it has nothing to do with the song, but we just thought we kept our word. You know, you did.
0: No, that I remember hearing that. You know, you did the southern accent. That was perfect because yeah. it was probably from someone from the south. It was that yelled it out. Um, yeah, and I think I mean, you guys were doing. If it was tours with metal bands or... I mean, we wasn't there a Clutch all. tour? No, was it a Clutch tour? What was the metal... No, like, that was Shift. Shift toured with Clutch. That was Shift with Clutch. Um, but there was like... I mean, it was metal bands. It was like rock. It was like seemed to be it all over the place.
1: Be, it seemed to be all over the place. And we never felt like we fit in. Even if wow. we were playing with another rock band, it was maybe like that they were more rock than us or and then we were like i don't know i don't know what it was it just it always felt like i can't think of one era type 11 tour where it felt like man that was like we had fun tours and we had bands that we were toured with and we got along like we toured the hot water and we toured with six going on seven and those are all friends of ours but um did it, is it like a perfect match you know P- musically probably not but did we have a great time with them on the road? Yeah.
0: What were some of the you know as, aspirations? Like was it was I mean already yeah you guys were playing for MSG, but were there expectations that you guys had to sort of get out of that scene? Yeah,
1: I, absolutely. We we pulled no punches with like we wanted to get signed. We wanted to um, you know because at the time you you know anyone that's listening to this you have to realize like we live in a world now where you can make a an album in your bedroom you can just you know and then 10 minutes later, someone in japan can hear it and you know whatever it's like the power is so in your hands to do it yourself and um and really go as big as you want um back then it just to you know to do the like we had no money so like it just felt like we need to get signed if we want to continue to pay our bills and yeah you know and, and, and just do it for a living. So yeah, we were trying to get signed. We weren't writing music to try to get signed. The music that was coming out was the music that we loved and we were just writing. Um, but we were, you know, we were going that route with, you know, we had a lawyer and manager and I think I went to
0: one of the, I'm sure I went to one of the, uh, um, record really, I mean, there was probably a Mercury lounge early show, performance for a bunch of suits they all showed up in the in their limos yeah. i'm sure there was but that kind of i mean at that time i don't know if not necessarily frowned upon but it was sort of it was like totally frowned upon. you think i
1: i think i so. guess i, I was I, w- I was unaware of it just because i liked you guys anyway so maybe i was oblivious right i mean i just think that from the world that we came from you know which was the total like punk rock diy diy you know th- where it's totally like frowned upon um, to kind of move more into a world where you're going for it. Um, it yeah, I think people just were not into that idea. So uh, it's just, with type, it's just like we tried... And sometimes I just feel like we just made some bad decisions and then it just never happened. Like it was like, oh, it's going to happen. It's not happening. Like,
0: Would it be like a tour or a
1: label or anything? Yeah. Like we would, yeah, we would, you know, like you said, we would do these showcases and like people would be like, we're interested. And then it just like, it's like, oh, this thing's not right. Or, oh, we're going to sign this other band. And, you know, and then we had an opportunity. We were flown out to play this. Do you remember Farm Club? Yes. Remember that TV Holy show on Yes. So, Erotai played Farm Club. They flew us out. I don't remember played. that. Oh, it's on, I, it's on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> so, we played that, and that was fun. That was a fun experience, you know, getting picked up at the airport in the limo and, you know, just getting to play on TV. It's like, it's fun as hell. Yeah. Um. And then, again, it's like, okay, there's momentum, and then it just didn't happen. And then uh, it just got to a point, I think, in 2002, where... Um, our guitar player Phil, we'd gone through a couple of drummers and then our guitar player Phil was just like he just he was done with it, you know. He loved the band, he loved the music, he loved us as people. He just wanted to do something else. Do something else. So we just kind of we played one last show on Long Island at a beach that we didn't even know was gonna be our last show. Oh wow. And it just kind of after the show, you know, like a couple of days later we talk and it's just like, Yeah, this is just like so from that moment Artie and I were just like automatically knew like well we still want to play together and then we're just like let's let's you know Aerotype's done let's start fresh with like what we know now and then I don't even really remember the story of how Tom came in to play but Artie just Tom, called, Tom Capone Tom right? Capone from Quicksand he's like he just called me one day he's like dude Tom's gonna come down and play with us and did was, you crap your pants I was like Tom who he's like Tom Capone I was just like Fuck you, you know? Yeah. Yeah, because I was just like, you know, quicksand. Uh, Hello. You know, right. The Holy Grail slip, you know? It's just like, you got to be kidding me. And then next thing I know, I'm in our practice space with Tom Capone. And, um, <laughs> you know, it's just like anyone you meet that you have kind of like that you fan out on, you know, you may fan out on them for like the first day. And then you just, you get to know them and then just become a, you know yeah. a normal person. So, but... Uh, after about half an hour of him playing with us he stopped we stopped playing so he can go to the bathroom and you know i picked up his les paul and played phaser
0: yes but you did of course of, you did cuz it sounded perfect when you did it it sounded
1: perfect <laughs> and it was his les paul that you know was in every quicksand video yes. and everything and i did that and i got it out of my system
0: i would have played simpleton yeah off Manic that, i mean that,
1: i could have played a bunch of songs That is but, my phaser is just like yes, the understood automatic, yes. like go to <laughs> um (laughs) and i had to be quick you know it's like he was coming back he's probably holding (laughs) his junk
0: like like, is someone fucking playing my guitar
1: (laughs) so uh that happened and then yeah just like it we all got along really well and um it worked and and then like five months after that first rehearsal and that was
0: did you have the band name yet
1: no we didn't have the band name but we just started already had some like riffs he was working on so we just started writing right away and then uh We had a bunch of songs really quick, and we recorded them with a friend, and we had a lawyer already from Aerotype, and she heard it and freaked out, and it just, everything happened with Instruction, it just happened, what happened over the four years with Aerotype 11, or five years, like, where nothing was happening with Instruction, within like five or six months we had a record deal. Like, it was like, okay, we made, you know, we wrote these songs, we recorded them, uh, we got a show offer in the UK. We're flying to the UK to play like two shows. Uh, we're going to go down to South by Southwest. There was like a, a show with like every major label there. You know, now wow. it's like you're getting taken out to dinner by DreamWorks and Geffen and yeah. Atlantic and all this stuff. And we're just like, okay, this is happening. And it, it happened. And that was it.
0: And then, I mean, that definitely, what was, so that year was 2002, two, three,
1: somewhere around there.
0: And then I'm just trying to think of like what the top 40 market was at the time.:
1: I mean, I think the whole 2000s were pretty grim. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah, in you know, the early the early 2000s, as far as music goes, was And again,
0: a rock band at that time, you guys weren't pretty hair, hair in your face, you didn't have the get-up. Well, I mean he had some hair in his face. But. He did, but it wasn't like on purpose. no it no. was more. Right. He just, like, like he woke up. Right. I love you, Artie. Um, (laughs) But the, uh, that sort of, it wasn't, the music led, not the fashion, and I'm I'm not saying all the bands did, but it was, what did they look like, then the sound? Yeah,
1: we weren't trying to, like, coordinate and, you know, eyeliner and, you know, dyeing our hair black and all that stuff. It was just like, we just... Did anyone at the label ask you to do that? No, absolutely not. No. They were pretty, you know, the label... In the beginning. It was
0: Geffen, right? That did it? It was Geffen,
1: yeah. Uh, <laughs> in the beginning, everything was good. And then, you know, some things happened, then it wasn't good. Yeah. And uh, that record, I still can't listen to that record. Really? Yeah. Because I just. Uh, what was the this single? Uh, Breakdown. Yes. And I'm Dead were the two singles that we made videos for. Um, I, I, that was a really
0: dark you, time were, of,
1: my, of my life
0: was it a lot of were you drinking were you like was it partying or was uh, it just like you were i mean it was almost like i feel like air type had all these shots, shots shots didn't happen you do instruction you have this thing you have this shot again and then things don't go right again
1: yeah well so you know well you think as a kid you think oh if i get signed all my you know all my prayers are answered like that's it right you've made it. i think um for for me personally it was just really dark because of it like um I had a relationship that went really bad at that time, a marriage I should say that went really bad at that time. Um, you know, there were members in the band that were not getting along well. And you know, when you're in a band and you're touring a lot, like these are it's a relationship, you're married to these people. So it's like if you're not getting along and you can't stand to look at someone's face and you have to be in a van with them for 12 hours straight, it's not a good situation. No. So, you know, there was, like, things at the label, there were inner um, band issues, and then there was my own personal issues. So, um, you know, I had it all, right? I had the record deal. We had Bob Bob Ezrin, who did Pink Floyd, The Wall, producing our record. Um, wow we were in this amazing studio in la we were living in la for two three months making the record and finished in in connecticut so like all this great stuff is like i'm not working i'm ma- i'm playing music i'm making music every day and i'm miserable and um so that record for me i don't know i can't pinpoint what it is because i really love some of the songs but there's just something that i i never want to go to and like revisit yeah that. i never want to revisit that record
0: or talk about it. I'm, I'm joking. I'm
1: joking. I don't it's it's all, it's all part of the behind the music. I know, I'm joking, I'm joking.
0: <laughs> this is at the forty minute mark. Right. We're at the forty minute mark of behind the music. Your your redemption is next. <laughs> uh, no, but that I just think that was such a hard time too, because I call anything post two thousand one post bleed American. Because that was a watershed moment for the scene.
1: It's a great record. Great record. I'm not a Jimmy Eat World fan, but I love that record.
0: Fantastic rock record. Everyone's rolling their eyes at listens cuz they know that already. But the 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 point of that being like it got noticed, like you know, that scene was suddenly broken wide open. Yeah. And I don't know if instruction was just sort of again not what everyone was looking for at yeah. the time. Yeah. I, they didn't want that. Right. And I think it's I was a well, the question I had earlier was like, where would have like error type fit? Like in wh- like what year should it have come out or like oh, could fuck. could instruction could have come out at another it's, time? I think
1: error type and instruction could have come out in uh, 92, 93. It would have been a different ball game.
0: Oh, yeah. I, I, I see that Allison in Chains tour.
1: Yeah, I mean, pick, pick it. You mud know, honey. Yeah, anything. but it, you Not know, mud honey, but like that kind of that, that well, world. So, And this is a perfect example. So now, like, you know, instruction, we're on Geffen. We have tour support, right? So now it's not a matter of, like, the money because we can go on the tour. Now it's a matter of the tours, right? So now at that time, we went on tour. Yeah, who were you with? Dude. <laughs> Tell me it was butt rock. I, I mean, okay. So now here's the thing. These guys, like... I hated the bands, but some of the guys in the band are absolutely lovely people, and you, it's really hard when you spend six weeks with these people to separate, like, I hate your band, but you're such a nice person. Yeah, female. yeah. Okay, so that said, we toured with uh, Puddle of Mud. We toured with Papa Roach. We toured um, one of, like, the best tour that fit, kind of, we toured with Helmet, which was great.
0: Helmet's actually my favorite band of all time. Oh, nice. Yeah. They, uh, they've obviously, what well, that was post Stainier, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was post Stainier. So they had a different, it was a bunch actually of a really, members.
1: it was right when uh, Paige page decided to read you, you know, start the band up again. Is
0: that his Volcom record or the, the, Vo- the Vo- no, Warcon record? No, it
1: wasn't, I think it was an Interscope record. It was, um,
0: no, the Interscope, last Interscope record was 90, 97, which was Aftertaste. This okay. was 0102. We can look it up. I forget, yeah. but
1: I that was. I'm blanking on the name of it. I I can see it. Was it Size Matters? Yes, no. Size Matters. That wow. was yes. That was the, that was the tour. Guys, with them. I'm
0: telling you, helmet trivia. Come yeah. at me.
1: <laughs> and that's. I actually really like that record. <laughs> me too. And I don't know if I like that record because we toured with them and I Have heard, heard those songs all every, every day. And I heard the, <laughs> and I heard those songs every night. But I actually do like that record a lot. Um, <laughs> that fits. Yeah. So right. So that tour was the one tour that kind of fit. Uh, Taking Back Sunday was going to take us out because, um, well, because we know those guys for a long time and Artie and Eddie played in Mind Over Matter together. Um, But what we got offered was like a week of shows and then the helmet thing came up and it was like a month of shows.
0: So, Bunny, like, like, I'm going to do this instead. Yeah.
1: So we just kind of went with what was going to keep us out on the road longer and we all loved Helmet as well, you know, so that was kind of a it was hard because we wanted to do take the taking back Sunday shows as well. Like I think we would have done well at those shows, but we just went with, we went with helmet.
0: And then the, uh, if it's the puddle of mud or pop Roach, did any of those guys know about your earlier
1: stuff? Not at all. No, none of them do. I, none of them did. Um, I think out of all the bands, like it was helmet, like, cause Chris trainer was playing. Oh guitar, yeah. So. Orange yeah.
0: Orange nine. Orange so, nine millimeter. So Chris trainer was an orange nine millimeter, which was a New York city hardcore band.
1: Right. And obviously orange nine toured with quicksand. And it's just that whole world. Like those guys come from page
0: from New York page lived in New York forever. Right. Exactly,
1: and then at that time on that tour, um, Frank Bello from Anthrax was playing bass, Yes. and Johnny Tempesta from Testament was playing drums. That which, was a great Helmet lineup. It was a great Helmet lineup. And on the last day of the, sh- the tour, I just said to Frank Bello, "I'm like, dude, I saw you play at the Feld Forum when I was 13 years old." <laughs> He's like, "Stop, you are making me feel so old right now." I'm like, "I'm sorry, I had to tell you." Um, and it was just cool. It's like, dude, here's a here's a guy that I went and saw when I was 13, and I'm on and tour, now you're on with, tour him. with him. Yeah.
0: That is a good helmet lineup. It was I good, forgot about that and yeah, one. And they were
1: tight as shit, too. I mean, they were just, like, ridiculous. Um, yeah, so that tour was great. And then we did some fun tours just because they were so huge, where we toured with – we did the uh, Project Revolution tour one summer, which, which was uh, uh, Snoop Dogg and um, – Linkin Park? Linkin Park. That's the band I was blanking on just now. Linkin Park, Snoop Dogg, Korn, uh And then we played on the sides. We weren't on. What what time
0: did you play? Like four. It it changed every day. There were
1: some days (laughs) where we went on at like noon. Oh my god! And there were some days we went on at like five thirty. But you know, the the doors opened at like eleven or whatever. So yeah, it's like sometimes we were the first band on. Sometimes we went on later, and, and it was it was the way they kind of rotated to keep it fair for all like the second stage bands. But that tour was so much fun because. This band from Wales that we had toured with in the UK called Funeral for a Friend. Oh, yeah. Those guys are great. Great dudes. And so we had toured with them before. And so they were on this tour with us. So So you get to hang uh, with them. Right. And every day there was a Heineken tent. We played. We were done. We loaded up. And we would just proceed to party, you know, the rest of the day. So that was fun. And then Ghostface Killer was on that tour. And for me, that was huge because I'm a huge Wu-Tang fan. Huge Ghostface Killer fan, and the fact that I got to see him play every single day, and I watched him every day. No shit. Yeah. No matter what. Like, I was there every day.
0: Guys, I gotta leave the Heineken tent. Ghostface yeah. is on. I
1: wouldn't even, if he was coming on, I wouldn't go to the Heineken tent. I'll, I'll, meet, I'll meet you later. And he was cool as shit. Like, I met him, and uh, and I hung... I, we had lunch with him one day, and I had lunch with him and Mike Vallely one day, because Mike Vallely, the skater... He was on that tour. He had a band called Mike V and the Rats, and it was just total like Black Flag basically, um, style. And so he was on the tour, and then he ended up becoming the MC for the second stage. So he would come out and introduce all the bands. That's and, like, so great. It was like a comedy routine, but awesome at the same time. So yeah, that was just like a really fun tour. And then we ended up going out on tour with Corn again, but in an arena tour, which was totally surreal.
0: I saw the Life is Peachy tour in a like a like a like a Roseland like 2500 cap room. And you know, people can make fun of me or unfollow me on Twitter. Um, but like it was heavy. And like, like I just I again, I don't hate the band, I hate the fans. Like that's how I am with some of these bands when they get to those certain levels. Like it just for some reason that that time period for them, those first few. Um, to me, still hold up, like for Corn. Um, yeah. And I think, I don't know, I just feel like the they kind of made it out alive, almost, like from that world. Barely.
1: <laughs> Barely. <laughs> I think there's only one band that's made it out of live from that, alive from that world, and that's Deftones. Yes, you're right.
0: That I mean, probably... everything
1: else just, to me, seems dated. You know what I mean? Like, Corn, I'm just like, ugh, you know? I, the
0: later stuff, I'm like, not paying attention to. I like to. the saying,
1: first song they ever put out.
0: The Oh, yeah, Blind. Yeah. The kid had a demo. He had a, like a shitty zine, and that's when you could like get CDs from like stuff. And I remember that's when I was like, "Well, I got to start a zine." This kid, he got the single like paper sleeve, corn. Oh yeah, and I remember hearing it being like, "Well, this is the heaviest thing I've ever heard, dude." I
1: I think I had that. I got that too. And then they were playing a CMJ show at the Limelight, and I went and saw them. It was like corn, corn, Deftones, and Fun Loving Criminals at the Limelight.
0: Sorry, I just, I, I couldn't, st- I had to hold myself from laughing. Yeah. The fun-loving
1: criminals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was a show. That was a show. <laughs> that happened. But there would be crazy shit like that in New York all the time. All The, the craziest show, and I know it's kind of going all over the, the place. Shit. But the cra- <laughs> this is a podcast. The craziest show I've ever seen, lineup-wise, was a CMJ show in 1993, 92 or 93, it was at the Academy, which I don't know if you've ever been to the Academy. I have not. So Academy was a great... Where was it? It was like in the 40s between like 7th and 8th Avenue or 8th and 9th or something like that. But it was like an old, like a theater, right? So it had a balcony and um, like saw some amazing, like two of the best quicksand shows I ever saw were there. And they were both CMJ shows. Like one was Quicksand, Orange 9 and Into Another. Oh my God. And then the next year was Quicksand, Texas is the Reason and Civ. Wow. And they were on the same day, a year apart for wow. CMJ. But anyway, so this place was a great, great venue, and I miss it, and I wish it was still around. But um, so one CMJ, um, I'd gone to, in 92, I saw Sonic Youth and the Boredoms opened for them at Roseland, right? It was on the Dirty Tour, and I was, like, blown away by the boredoms. I'm like, this band's yeah, like, yeah. crazy. Like, they, the singer taped a microphone to a pizza box and was, like, <laughs> screaming into it. And I was like, this band's awesome. Pizza so, box? So, like... You know, maybe six months later after that show, they were. Um, I saw that the boredoms were playing again. So I went and bought a ticket to the show and I went to see them. But the lineup for the show was, and the first band on was Green Day right before Dookie came out, right? So wow. It was Green Day, the boredoms, the flaming lips, kerosene 454, F- 454. and Adam Sandler doing his ac- songs acoustic
0: wait why was kerosene 454 right before adam sandler how were they that big weren't they on like Desoto or something at
1: the time i don't know or, wait was it kerosene for 4- it was something with kerosene in it i maybe i have kerosene 454 because that's like the band i know yeah, that's the band we know um but it was something with kerosene in it and that show was insane and i was standing there with my friend adam and we were watching Green Day play in front of like 50 people cuz they were the first band on and they were unbelievable.
0: So the Green Day, did you do you remember anything about the do you remember anything about Green Day set?
1: It was awesome. I just remember I loved it. Like I just thought they were they were so much fun. The songs were super catchy. And uh yeah, I just was like blown away by them and I never heard of them or you know anything. So Wow.
0: That, that, is, that is a crazy show.
1: Yeah, and then it was actually... And then, then after that, it was like, whoa. I still have the Village Voice pullout from that show.
0: No shit.
1: Yeah. If anyone's ever interested in seeing um, the shows I went to, I do a thing... I'm not on Twitter or anything, but on Instagram, if you type in under hashtags uh, Marino's Ticket Stubs, I've put pretty I haven't done them all but I've done a lot of them starting from my first concert it will you know if you go down to the bottom that'll be the first one you see and then just kind of up through the 90s wow like,
0: I've, I've actually saved most of my ticket stubs that I've gotten um and put them into books I have one over there but nice. it's like you know you look back and I mean yes you had wristbands or guest lists for a lot of shows but when you do yeah. have those little ticket stubs it oh, everything I've, floods back
1: those that's like that book of ticket stubs I have is like if there was a fire i'd i'd go back for those <laughs>
0: <laughs> did you think you know looking back i mean i did you i guess from those first few shows or picking up the bass or you know wh- wh- I mean, I just love that each time you mentioned a show or a band, it was well that was Chris Trainer or that was this, and it's that community kind of yeah. sticks together.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I always, I always felt that uh, from the first time I went to like started really going to like six smaller shows and really getting involved, like going out to Long Island to like Pwac to see shows, which was a, a, a venue run by by kids, basically, you know. Um, it's just like the community, the sense of community is so amazing and people, you know, you just start seeing, that's how, you know, you become friends. You just, every weekend you're going to shows, whether it's out on Long Island, uh, Deja One or Pewak, or if you're going, you know, to Seabees or Wetlands or Coney Island High, you just see all the same faces. And then eventually, enough times you see someone's face and you're at all these same shows, you go, what's up, man? You yeah. Know? And then because because of that exact situation, I'm still friends with... All these people. I know. mean,
0: tonight you're seeing Quicksand. I saw a-
1: Mind Over Matter and Silent Majority on Sunday. And yeah, I'm going to see Quicksand tonight. And it's like, I got into a time machine and went to 1995. Yeah. You know, because it's like, I would say like that year, I would say like 94, 95, 96, like those three years was like when it was, I guess in my world at least, when it was just like every weekend, you know, during the week, like there were just shows all the time happening. And like the sickest lineups.
0: Yeah, especially yeah th- those times, I think the bands, there was some major label. I mean, Quicksand had major label support. There were more people paying attention, yeah. um, bigger tours. And I tours. kick myself
1: now that I didn't go to the earlier Quicksand shows, you know, because the first time I saw Quicksand play was open for Rage Against the Machine at Roseland. Wow. Um, and that was 93 which is, a, you know, it was an amazing time to see them play. But, like, I could have gone to, like, the smaller shows because Julian was always like, oh, dude, come to this show. And I was like, oh, I don't know. And it was before I even really, like listened to yeah. it. And then, uh, and then they were going to – Quicksand was going to play this tw- – when CBs had their 25th anniversary shows, I think it was around, like, 93. Um, they were playing at CBs, and it was, like, Shift, Quicksand – and then Rest in Pieces we're going to play, which is like an old school hardcore band. Which and, uh, Peter
0: Menjed um, from Helmet was right, in Rest right, in Pieces, exactly.
1: and Armand from Sick of It All yep. was the singer. And uh, and I remember like we were looking through the Village Voice, and Julian's. I was like, I was like, oh shit, Quicksand is playing CB's, and I was like, psyched to go. And then he said, oh, but Rest in Pieces is playing. It's going to be a total bloodbath. And I was just like,
0: you got scared?
1: I did. I was like, holy shit! Like, because because I had like heard Rest in Pieces, and then I just. You know, just like, oh, my God, that's going to be, that show's going to be, like, people yeah, shit kicked out of them. And in high school, like, I'm 6'2 now, but back then, I, like, I didn't have my growth spurt till after high school. <laughs> so I was just, like, this tiny, like, I think I was the same height as Julian in high school, and he's not too tall. So um, for me, I was just like, oh, no. And then show sells out, and then Rest in Pieces uh, didn't play.
0: <sighs> so you're like, I could have gone. I could have gone.
1: Yeah, so... uh I don't even know where we were at before. We are in a
0: secret society <laughs> and if you want to get in, you got to start you know going handshake. to hardcore shows, you got to know the handshake.
1: Yeah, but the community, yes, there's an amazing sense of community and I've always known that from the second I started going to shows. So this I've known that like these are people that I'm always going to see and like, you know, 20 years later, 21 years later on Sunday when I was at Vitus, like I'm seeing these people that I went to shows with that long ago.
0: Yeah, and I mean even myself you know, meeting Artie randomly at those shows, those your air type shows, meeting him, telling him I'm from a college station, you know, doing IDs like radio IDs. And then I remember years later, either was seeing him on a train or something and saying hi again. And he, again, I, he, I wasn't coming from him on a certain point. I was coming from him from the hardcore perspective. And it was this instant like, Oh yeah, I kind of remember what's up. Like, Oh, you live in New York now. Done. You're done. You're all set. And, um, I just think that's something really special that, I think a lot of newer bands, and there's a community now with the Emo Revival, I think there's a lot of punk rock stuff going on, that DIY ethic, um, and I hope that that continues. Um, But yeah, I think obviously we're going to be nostalgia for the time that we were sort of happening in it, but I still feel like that hardcore thing is still there.
1: Yeah. But, you know, you talk to older guys, and, like, I always say I wish I was five years older. Like, I'm going to be 40 in September, but I wish I was five years older than I am now. To catch. Because I could have caught, like, yeah, just, like, some of the even, like, more of, like, the later 80s, like, hardcore stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then even stuff in the alternative world. Like, I remember Jane's Addiction played the Ritz, and I couldn't go because I was too young. You know what I mean, but like when they played the Garden, I was able to go. But like, if they could I have seen them? I could have seen them in like a smaller club, like in their total prime. But I was just that little <laughs> bit too young. So, but then you talk to the, these guys that were from like you know that were going to shows in like 84 or eighty four or you know the, the like the first wave of it, and they're just like, oh, dude, hardcore died in like eighty seven. right? And it's like, What are you talking about? You know. <laughs> What are you talking about? Like, some of the best stuff, you know, came out, like, 86 to 90. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. I
0: guess it's all relative. It's all
1: perspective. Yeah, it's all
0: perspective. I hope, I mean, I've always tried to go back as far as I can. And sometimes I hear some of the earlier stuff and, wow, that sounds like shit. You know, like, I'm not going to listen. I mean, but it's all time and place. Right. Uh, That's why
1: you can't knock, like, the newer kids that are, like, like, I feel like an old man when I hear some of these newer bands. I'm just like, I just don't get it, or I just don't like it. But you can't knock the the kids that are really into it, because for them, that's what they're getting into now, and that's their, it's their time, you know? And yeah, maybe they'll discover some of the older stuff yeah. that we grew up loving, but for right now, like if this is what they're into, then that's awesome. You have to kind of let them figure it out.
0: And I'm happy they're not listening to Justin Bieber. That's the main thing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm probably the worst person to talk to because I listen to everything. Like to me, to me, if it's a good song, it's a good song. It I just matter. meant more
0: of like person that just listens to top forty radio,
1: right? Just does, the, right. They doesn't, will like
0: d- doesn't out. dig, doesn't. Yeah. you know, it's oh yeah, a, song, a great song is a great song, one hundred percent. But it's that that's your. Again, but that's a different music fan. You know, that's a casual versus a. Right. A, Which know.
1: I absolutely don't understand because, like, music is my life. So, like, when someone's just like, I'm like, oh, what are you into? They're like, I don't know. I'm not really into music. Or I just, like, "or oh, whatever's on the radio, I'm like, I look at them like <laughs> they're fucking crazy. You know, I just don't understand how you can. Back act. away. Yeah. <laughs> For real. Or it's like someone doesn't like food. Like, yeah, so, yeah. I'm like, what kind of food are you into? Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I just like whatever, like, you know, meat and potatoes. I'm just like, what you know right <laughs> or like they eat just to because they have to survive but they don't love food like yeah i love food
0: <laughs> sometimes i am like i just wish i could have an iv because i'm hungry and i just don't want to go out to eat i'm just like can you just put food in me so i don't have to think about it that's only on like a really bad like thursday you know not like a random not every day when just I, when i'm tired
1: this trip for me like you know i get home like once a year and I seriously base my trip around food. food. I'm just like, I'm, I'm just obviously family and friends, but like, I'm like, all right, I have to go here. I have to go here. I have to go here. And so it's been like real tricky trying to get around the city <laughs> and like save room in my stomach at the same time. <laughs> You're not veg, are you? Are you? I actually, uh, I stopped eating meat in January. Nice. Yeah. So I'm still eating. I still eat fish, but I stopped eating, you know, beef, pork, chicken. Um, yeah, it was just something I'd wanted to do for a long time and then I uh I went and saw Morrissey play. And I've seen Morrissey play before, but the last time I went and saw him play in San Diego, he had the screen behind him he didn't meet his murder and you know, he had the whole like, you know, every worst PETA video you can possibly yes. imagine playing behind him. And it was just like and one guy passed out in the crowd and like on you know, flat out onto the floor and I just said, you know, I've been wanting to do this for a while and I think uh I think I'm gonna make it my New Year's resolution. And so I did it. So I stopped eating meat in January and it's, it's not been hard at all. It's not hard. I'm on 20 years. Yeah. My sister's <laughs> vegan and oh, she's, wow. like, uh, she's like, you'll, you'll be vegan in another two years. Yeah. She's like, she's like, but I'm ha-, she's like so happy. She's buying me vegan cookbooks now. Oh, like nice. she's trying to like get me. I was like, I don't know if I can do vegan though. Like I love cheese so much and every vegan cheese I've tried is pretty terrible. It's pretty terrible. Pretty, pretty
0: terrible. Yeah. That, I can't be vegan. It's not fun. I, I like ice cream too much too
1: yeah but there's some i'm, I'm a ben and jerry's has... guy
0: oh yeah well then you're fucked yeah so sorry vegan uh you the other thing i thought was really cool the transitions of what other folks or what people are doing now and i think you're kind of an interesting one too it's sort of like uh you know sometimes hardcore kids turn into tattoo artists yeah and save. you know the yes yeah, and then uh for you to be a barber and yeah how did that come about
1: uh, so after instruction ended, Artie and I again had the conversation of like, well, we're going to do another band together, you know, because we just attached at the hip at that point, point. and uh, so we started another band, and which was called Fires at the time, and then it went on to become Godfires, man. Oh There's, yeah, yeah,
0: Godfires was that with
1: Joe? Was that with Joe? Yeah, Grillo? so that yeah. was right. So because Joe was an in instruction toward the end. Yes. So yeah, it was with uh, it was me, Artie, Joe, and Steve from Game Face, the drummer of Game Face. Um, and that was my favorite band that I've ever done. It was so, like, I love the songs. We just got along so well. There was no drama whatsoever. We, and we record like everything we wrote in that band, we pretty much recorded everything. So at that time it was the major label thing started happening again. Like, oh, Atlantic's interested in you and they want you to showcase and they want you to demo and they gave us money. And I was, um, excuse me, I was, uh, at that time I was 29 years old. And I had this major life freak out, like, oh my God, I'm going to be in a 15 passenger van again, like playing in front of suits and like trying to do this. And I've been touring for like 10 years and I was just like, and I have no other like I didn't go to college. I was bartending and I was like, I have no other skills besides playing an instrument and bartending. And my wife is a hairdresser and it's been for about 18 years now. And um, she would do haircuts in our apartment. I always enjoyed watching her do it. I was always, like, really interested in it. So um, I just thought, well, there's, like, a fun thing. Like, you know, you can dress how you want. You can, like, you get to meet cool people. You get to be creative. Um, so I was either interested in doing that or I was going to become a massage therapist, which I was also, I went like, I went to the Swedish Institute for, like, a month and just kind of, like, checked it out and mm-hmm. filled out the paperwork and it was between massage therapy or being a hairdresser. And I went with being a hairdresser and that's when I quit the band. And I just went, I started going to the Aveda Institute in Soho and out of that I graduated. And then I went to, um, I started working as an assistant of Vidal Sassoon, which is where my wife worked in, in California. And I just loved their aesthetic and I loved like the precision of mm-hmm. it. And, um, but it turned out to be a bit too much for me because it was like the Marines of hair. Oh wow. It was like super intense and I hated, like I love cutting women's hair, but then I hated like the blow drying and the styling. So I always enjoyed cutting men's hair when I had like to bring in, uh, you know, a a male model to, to, to do in my classes. So I just thought, um, I took about a year off doing hair when my son was born. And then this new barber shop had opened up in, in, I, I was living in Carroll gardens at the time in Brooklyn and, This new shop opened up, and I walked by, and I kind of checked it out, and I went in to get a straight razor shave, because I'd never had one before. And I ended up, um, the guy that was doing my shave, we started talking, and and he's like, oh, what do you do? And I was like, oh, well, I was doing hair, but now I'm just kind of a stay-at-home dad, and I'm bartending at night for the time being. He's like, oh, well, dude, we're looking for, like, they'd been open for, like, three or four months. Like, we're looking for another barber, a fourth barber. I was like, "All right, I don't know." And then he put the hot towel on my face, and he went and talked to the owner while he had the towel on my face. Nice. It was just like, Yo, this guy's really cool, and he he does hair. So when I went up to pay, the owner was like, "Oh, I hear you do hair. Why don't you send me your resume? Why don't you bring in two of your friends to do haircuts on, and let's just see how it goes." I went and I did that, and uh, I worked from that place for two years, and totally like reinvigorated like my wow, my kind of got my career going with that. And so now, this September will be ten years that I've been doing hair.
0: That's fantastic.
1: Yeah. And then you, what's what's the barbershop in San Diego that you do it at? So now, I just six months ago, I opened my own shop with two business partners. Fuck yeah! Called uh, it's called Gold Comb. It's in the North Park area of San Diego. Um, yeah, and it's so awesome. I love it's. Once you're your own boss, like you never ever want to go work for someone else. <laughs> it's the
0: best
1: thing in the world. <laughs> Uh, yeah so it 's it 's really awesome
0: fantastic. I love that sort of again you 're walking by a place, you come in and you get to talking with someone right and
1: it 's all these little life moments that kind of like lead you
0: yeah and you, do you do you, you love san diego
1: i do it 's taken me we 've been there a little over three years now, and it 's great for the kids because it 's like I have two kids so it 's like the weather 's amazing all year long and you know, you're not, it's not the oppressive winters of New York. Like, I just, I was over that shit. I couldn't deal with yeah. it anymore. And our apartment in Brooklyn, like, once we had our second kid, like, it just, oh my gosh, you and, pro- yeah. Yeah, it was just like, we got to get out of here. So the opportunity came up. We went out there, and I, yeah, I really love it. And now that I, like, now that, my son's in school, and we've met other parents that are cool. Like you, We have friends now out there, and now that I have a business, I just feel a little bit more locked in. Yeah, you've got, you've got a community yeah. of everybody. And a fun little side story. Uh, last week, uh, I went to Bar Pink, which is right around the corner, which is John Reese from Hot yes. Snakes, Rocket from the Crypt, Drive Like Jay. It's his bar, where he's a partner in it. And I went in there to get a drink. It's literally around the corner from my barber shop, And uh, I went in there, and the guitar player from Rocket from the Crypt was bartending, so we just start talking and then you know you talk you know it's like one of those things Yeah. oh I was wearing some shirt and he's like oh you know and um, I was like oh I actually saw you play at the John Bunch Memorial and we started talking about that show he's like that was a weird show I was like I know it's kind of you know insane circumstances and he's like do you live in the neighborhood and I was like no but I own a barbershop around the corner he's like that's so crazy. I was just telling my wife that I need to get a haircut. He's like, do you have a business card? So I gave him my card, and I, I was cutting, and then, and then two days later, I find myself cutting the guitar player for Rock from the Crips hair.
0: <laughs> and that's when you do the little fist bump, yeah. and you're, you're like, yes! Yeah.
1: <laughs> it was like, now I just need to meet Tony Hawk and Rob Halford, and my San Diego experience will be complete. <laughs> I can move then. I can move on to a different place. Might be
0: able to help with the ladder. Oh, um really yeah we we'll can talk offline <laughs> um that's really cool i mean again that again you're around the corner the community you're meeting these people yeah. and music is that the center
1: the driving force that's rad yeah
0: nice man was there anything else you want to mention
1: or uh no you can check out i guess just the barbershop on instagram gold Comb barbers at Goldcomb barbers uh and that's really it. Other than that, I'm just being a dad and eating lots of Mexican food and cutting hair. <laughs> oh, and I'm playing music. I should mention oh, that. Oh,
0: shit. Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah.
1: Tell uh, Mention. But that's just more like I've been writing songs for like a year in my bedroom on guitar. And then I finally started... Um, playing i'm playing with my buddy kyle who used to play in big collapse with josh from shift and now he's the drummer of helmet yes oh
0: kyle's fantastic yeah
1: love kyle i've known that dude for years and i was just like he's up in la it's like a two-hour drive for me but i really when i was like saying i wanted to start playing music again i'm not like trying to get a record deal i'm not trying to go on tour or play shows i just want to like create and i want to create with people that i respect them as people and they're playing so i'm just like going real slow and so i've been going up to la and we've been playing and hashing out the songs on drums and we're going to record soon like i think five songs soon and then it's going to be total like you know postal service style then my buddy uh eric is going to play bass on it and then my buddy matt is going to play guitar on it and then i'm going to figure out who's going to sing on it
0: that's fun you yeah. see instead of uh instead of the showcases and uh the the rush it's taking it slow
1: yeah, and that's it's dude. It's all I have time for. It's like trying to run a business and kids, and, and a fam, and have a family, a normal family life. It's like it's really just like when I have time to do it. So um, yeah, that's uh, that's what's going on. Cool.
0: Thanks, Adam.